Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, again, my name is Herrick. I'm one of the pastors here of Restored Church, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. Uh, if you're new, we have been slowly working through the Gospel of John in a series that we're calling Jesus Is. We're kind of seeing like who Jesus is through these different encounters that he has with people throughout his life in, in earth and in, in the, on the earth with his ministry. And today we're going to take a break from that series, and I'm going to preach a different message, um, the same gospel, just a different message, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to preach a message about Jesus that's not coming out of John. Uh, but um, before we get started, I want to pray real quick, and then we're going to do some Bible trivia. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he laid down his life for us that he loved us, served us, he saved us, and ultimately he's changing the entire world. He's making everything new, and we're grateful to be a part of that by your grace alone. And uh, I pray this morning that you would help us to enjoy you, that you would help us to see your son Jesus more clearly, that you would help us to respond to your word with worship and gratitude and joy. Father, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of Bible trivia uh, to kick us off this morning. And so there's different ways we could have done this. There's fill in the blank, there's essay questions, there's multiple choice, true, false statements. I went with fill in the blank, and I've got it up here for you guys. Uh, There's three times in the Bible when Jesus says, the Son of Man came, and then there's three different things he says. And just as a hint, these are three things that describe three different aspects of his life and ministry. So this is an interactive time. So if you think you know the answer, shout it out. There's no shame if you get it wrong. To serve, yes. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Very good. What else? That's one. Yeah. Culture of honor. Love it. So that's one. To save and not condemn. Close. I think the heart is exactly right. Not an exact quote, though. Not what I was looking for. (laughs) No shame here. (laughs) Anybody else? There's two more. Just throw it out there. To bring life. Another great guess. Not exactly what I was looking for. You're all, like, around the right. Yes. Yes. Uh, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10. Very good, Jules. Yeah. Clap for Jules. Come on. All right. Uh, in a room this size, there's somewhere between 50 and 500 of you right now. Uh, can we together come up with the last one? There's one more. The Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. No hints. That's, uh, we just did that one. You did that one. That's Mark 10, 45. That's the second half of the verse that you quoted. So, very good, yes, but no, not what I'm looking for. Anybody? To celebrate. Yeah, I should have just said, okay, it looks like we're not going to get it. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Luke 7.34. You ever heard that one before? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. He came celebrating. He came to party. He came to have a good time. He came to celebrate If you look at the life of Jesus, 
What's the first miracle he, more Bible trivia, what's the first miracle he performs? Everybody knows that one. So what was his first miracle? Right. But yes. <laughs> he, he became our bartender. That was his first miracle. And he brought the best drinks. That's what Jesus did. Here's, what, here's my point in all this. Sorry for dragging this out, this Bible trivia out. If we want to be like, good, like, if we want to be like Jesus, we have to be good partiers. Because that's what he was like. Good celebrators. Yep, this is going to be good today. I can already feel it. <laughs> today we're going to talk about celebration. If you are new here, I can't tell you how happy I am that you're here. If this is your first time, if you've been around church, you're coming back, or maybe you've never been a part of the church, and if part of the reason why you've never wanted to really commit to a church is because church feels dull and uninteresting, and it just kind of feels like everyone's going through the motions, I want you to know that the church, what the church is really about is celebration. That's the truest expression of the church. It's celebration. Joy, fun, laughter, lightness, good cheer. Who came up with that stuff? Who invented that? More Bible trivia. God. God did. This is all stuff that, that reflects what he's like. This is part and parcel of the Christian life, of a transformed Christian life. So today we're going to talk about that. This is what we want to be about as a church. So uh, this is a message that I realized as I was prepping it that I desperately need for myself. Uh, by nature, I do not celebrate well. Uh, I'm going to show you a video that captures the depth of my struggles. So I'm going to set the scene first before I play the video. Um, it's, this is uh, Puerto Rico, 1992. It's my little brother's first birthday. This is my, it's in my backyard. There's food, there's drinks, there's dancing. It's a party. People are having fun. My mom hired a clown. The clown had curly purple hair. She was contextualized for Puerto Rico. It was great. Um, so uh, I'm going to show you a part of the video that's basically a balloon popping relay race. So you basically, the, the idea behind this game is like you have to, you sit down until the balloon pops. Okay, does that make sense? And then you go to the next person. So let's see the first video, clip number one. So these are my cousins. That's Susie. She has no problem popping the balloon. Uh, I got two other cousins coming up. My cousin, one of them has zero problem popping the balloon. And then the other one's a little bit lighter. So he's, got, he's struggling and he finally gets it. Okay. Uh, I'm not good at uh, physics, but I think it's like mass and velocity is what you need. And one of my cousins had it. The other one did not. And so one struggled. I'm going to show you a second clip here in a second. You guys are going to see that I'm way more like that cousin than the one that's already gone because he just popped it so quickly. Uh, it's my turn. The next scene is going to be me, and this is how it goes for me. I, I'm struggling. Let's play the next one. That's me on the right, right there with the balloon. I, I'm struggling. I just can't pop the balloon. And then the video cuts out, but I slam the balloon and I walk off. I slammed it. And I just like, is everybody having a good time? Everybody having a good time here? The clown's laughing. <laughs> Hate that stupid clown. That was then. I was, you know, seven years old or whatever. Uh, but if I'm honest, I'm still not great at celebrating today. Uh, I may not be slamming balloons in clowns' faces, but I have a beautiful wife. I married my dream girl. I've got, this is my dream job. Some of you are like, this is, this, that would be a terrible job. This is my dream job pastoring 
uh, is, is what I've always wanted to do since I became a Christian. Uh, I've crossed off most of my bucket list. It's a short list, but I've crossed off almost everything on there. I have so much to be thankful for, and I still don't celebrate well to this day. And here's the thing. I don't think I'm alone. I do not think I'm alone. I wonder if, like, if you guys that are here and you guys that are listening on the podcast, hi, Tom, uh, if you're honest with yourself, do you really know how to celebrate? Do you really know how to celebrate well? It's January 27th. We're about a month removed from the holidays. Think back to the holidays. Did you celebrate or did you just get through them? Did you really celebrate the holidays or was it just kind of like, we just got to get through this? And that's the celebratory time of the year. Think about your last month since the holidays. Don't raise your hand, but have you celebrated anything, really, in the last month? When I talk about celebration, I don't mean like you feel empty and so like you run to the bottle or whatever to fill up. I'm talking about like being filled up and overflowing and you just can't help but express your, your joy and your delight. Does that happen at any point in the last month? Was it more like the bad stuff in life just feels really big and the good stuff in life feels really small? So I want to ask us a question that I think God is kind of calling us as a community to consider together. Do we want to become a community of joy and of gratitude? Is that the kind of community that we want to be? The answer is yes, and I think think it, it should be yes. Uh, we're going to talk about a key to that today, to celebration. So I have four points. They're going to be up on the screen. You can take me off of there. <laughs> me slamming the balloon. First thing, why we celebrate. Point number one, why we celebrate. Point number two, why it's hard for us to celebrate. Three, what frees us to celebrate. And four, what celebrating does. So why we celebrate, why it's hard to celebrate, what frees us to celebrate, and what celebrating does. So... Uh, My first point, why we celebrate. In order to understand why we celebrate, we really need to go back to the beginning of the Bible story. In the beginning, God made everything, right? He made the sky, he made the sea, he made the trees, he made the plants, and he said, what did he say about it all? It's good. It's good. It actually says in Job 38, 7, that as God was creating the universe, the angels were like, yeah, they're like clapping, and they're like losing their minds. They're like, can you believe this asteroid, this galaxy? Yeah, God, like, this, our, our creation was birthed in celebration. Up until that point, God said everything was good, right? And then he made us. What did he say then? It's very good. It's very good. Not just good, exceedingly good. I actually looked up the word in Hebrew, and like the, the very is like muchness, which I don't know if that's a word, but it's like, it's much. Like he was much happy. He was much like delighted. Uh, I, I love this, this grammars. <laughs> but it's like he was saying, like, I've, I've saved the best for last. The angels are going wild. Yeah, people made in God's image, just celebrating. Okay, that's the birth story of the human race celebration. God made us, and it was exceedingly, wildly, abundantly good. Okay, let that sink in for a second. Like we, This isn't going to make a lot of sense today if we don't really let this sink in. 
you and I, we, the human race, we were a cause for celebration to God, like a daddy celebrating his newborn. That's our birth story as a race, as a, as a human race. How wonderful is that? That means that our story starts with celebration and joy. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, enjoyed peace and purpose with God and delight in his presence until what happened? Sin happened, right? Adam rejected God through disobedience. He listened to God's enemy. He listened to Satan and disobeyed God. And so what happened? If, if, if the, the creation was a party, the party was cut short. It ended abruptly. Like a party where like violence or something breaks out and it's just like, run, get out of here. It's kind of like that. It just ended. It was tragic. And the fall ruined everything. It ruined everything. It ruined relationships. It put distance between us and God. It's what causes us to hide today, to pretend to be better than we are, to put other people down. It all started with the fall. Thankfully, God, the same God who delighted in you and me when he made us, he did not give up. He didn't say, well, we'll start over somewhere else in a different universe. No. God was right there as we ruined everything in Adam, and we are connected to Adam just by nature of birth. We're in Adam by birth, identified with him. God was right there with us as we ruined everything, and he came with what? With a promise. In Genesis 3.15, God promises a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior, who in a sense came to what? To restore the party. So the rest of the Bible is, in, in one sense, it's the unfolding drama of God restoring the party that was cut short by sin. How does God do that? He does it through a family. He calls Abraham out. And he says to Abraham, you're going to have a family. It's a fascinating story. He has a, he has a son at 100 years old, miraculously, with a 90-year-old wife. It's like, through that family, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to restore the party, so to speak, to the entire creation through Abraham's offspring. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob, had, it, Jacob is also known as Israel. Israel had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we see that God called Israel to reflect who he is in the world. So there's a reality in which the nations, the entire globe, would see what God is like through Israel. They would see God's goodness through how he treats his people. And do you guys know what one of the main ways that that happened was? Through parties, celebrations. We're going to get into some of that. We're going to look at that in a minute. But I think it's important for us to see that like, God was showing the world what he was like, what he was doing. He was restoring everything to the original intent through Israel. And a big part of that was partying with celebrations. So here's the thing. Really quick background. God was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Jacob, Israel, and Israel's sons. So God's people at one point in the story were horribly oppressed under the Egyptian king whose name is Pharaoh, and God rescued them. He did a series of miracles that were incredible in and of themselves. Power. It was a power struggle with Pharaoh, and God won handedly. And ultimately, Israel was saved through the blood of a lamb, the Passover. That was what saved Israel. The angel of the Lord like, saved Israel was safe, and then judgment fell on Egypt, and God's people were freed. 
and released. And then what happens? God gives Israel the law. And for some of us, the law might be like, you got to do this, you got to do that, just rules and commandments, rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. There is a reality that there are a ton of rules in the law and commandments, but here's an important part of this. God liberated Israel and then gave them the law. It was meant to give them a new culture, a new way of being in the world. They were in bondage. They were slaves in Egypt, and now they're free. So it's like, here's how you live free in this world. Here's how you stand out in this life. And the other nations will look at you and be like, that's what I'm talking about. That's real freedom. That's what it looks like to be under God. So the law was not awful by any means. The law was good. And it gave gave people a new way to live out their identity in response to God's grace, the people of Israel. So here's the thing. If you know the story, it's messy. It's super messy. At one point in the story, we're going to look at Nehemiah here in a second, Israel loses the book of the law. So they lose this, they lose the law. It's like they lost their family's story. They lose it. And then they recover it. So if you can imagine what that was like, they lose the law, then they recover it. Ezra, Nehemiah, who was the governor of the people, and others, they end up, they recover this book and they read it to the people. So it'd be like us sitting here right now. We find, we find the Bible that we've lost and I start reading it. And Tom and I start reading it and others start reading it. And it's just the most amazing story because they realized we have fallen short. We have broken God's laws. We need forgiveness. So the way I think of it, it's kind of like, imagine if, imagine if Heather and I have moved around a lot from San Diego. We moved around like five times in San Diego. We moved up here to Temecula. We change our address a lot. So imagine if the IRS had like an old address and we owed a bunch of money to the IRS and all of a sudden like 10 IRS letters get sent to our house and it's from like 2003, 2004, just years and years and years and years and there's interest accumulated and we get this and we're just like, we can't pay this. This is impossible. Like we, we don't have the money for this. How would we feel? We'd probably cry, I think. And I think you would too. This is sort of like, if that helps at all, get you into the mindset of the Israelites, it's like they realize like we've fallen short. We haven't done what the law says. And so let's read the story. Nehemiah 8, verses 8 to 12. This should be up on the screen in a second. Nehemiah 8, 8 to 12. So they read from the book, from the book of the law, which they had lost and recovered, clearly, and they gave the sense. So the ones that were reading it were explaining it, kind of like preaching through it, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra was a priest and a scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to everyone, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. Because they were crying. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way. Verse 11. The rest of the verse. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Make sure no one's excluded from this party. For this day is holy to the Lord. Holiness, partying together. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Shh, hush, stop crying. Don't be grieved. All the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Do you guys see what's happening here? They're reading the law. 
They're understand the people are like are realizing this is this is awful. We haven't done this. We haven't lived up to this. And then the the pastor comes up and says, "Shut up and dance." That's basically what's going on here. If you read to the end of the chapter, it says they partied for a week, a week. Their mourning was met by the mercy of God, and a party for the ages ensued. This is our story as the family of God. Did you guys know that story? Anybody? It's amazing. It doesn't get talked about enough. Let's go to David. David, the man after God's own heart. We're just like picking some stories out of the Old Testament to kind of illustrate some of the stuff. David was the man after God's own heart. David, if you don't know David's story, has a checkered past. Uh, David uh, slept with a woman who wasn't his wife, and then he killed a guy, uh, his, her husband, uh, and he was the man after God's own heart. He was all or nothing, baby. It was, it was all or nothing with him. And so in this part, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, and at this point in the story, just think of God's presence uniquely dwelling with the people through the Ark of the Covenant. And they had lost the Ark of the Covenant like they had lost the law, kind of, and then they got it back. And how did they respond? With dancing. Bless you. Verse 14, 2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord with all David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. It's like priestly robes, kingly robes. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, I forget how to pronounce her, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So what's going on here? David is in the presence of the Lord, and he is dancing. And he's dancing so hard that his clothes come off. And what does he do? He just keeps dancing. And then his wife, she despised him. She thought, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. This is the story, by the way, we should read in kids' ministry, said nobody ever. David's wife was like, did the servant girls get a good look at the crown jewels, David? She resented him for that. And he's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. He just keeps dancing. He's like, I'm going to dance even harder. I'm going to make this worse for you. (laughs) Again, he was in the presence of the Lord, and he just danced and celebrated with reckless abandon. It's a true story. And David writes in Psalm 16, you, he's talking to God, fill me with joy in your presence. Joy. If we encounter God really, truly, like, we experience joy. It just keeps going with Israel. There's this big, there's, this, there's the, the Jubilee, which was a big economic reset that the people of Israel enjoyed. So every 50 years, debt was canceled. Canceled. Anyone that was in economic bondage was freed. And God's presence uniquely dwelt on the people and was with the people during that time as they rested from their hard labor and partied. So debtors, Heather and I, when we got married, we had a lot of student debt. We had undergrad, grad, cars. We had a lot of debt. Imagine if somebody was just like, 
gone instantly. What would we have done? We would have partied, I think. I think we would have partied. I think we would have danced (laughs) naked. Here's the thing. This is a reminder of how badly I need this message. We just paid off all our debt and we didn't throw a party. Like we need, I need this message. We didn't party. So debtors, gone. Imagine all your debt wiped away. Your mortgage, gone. Your student debt, gone. Your credit card debt, gone. You'd party, am I right? You'd celebrate. Also, on the flip side of that, if you had this mindset where you felt like you had kind of earned what you had, the Jubilee was a reminder that everything belongs to the Lord. It's not you. Even your ability to make money and the money itself, it's God's. So it was a reset. It reset our pride, in a sense. It reset the people's pride and blew up this idea of a meritocracy in the kingdom of God. Think about that. How about equality? All these things that we long for. The, the Jubilee basically didn't allow cycles of oppression to take hold because money and power were always starting over every 50 years. Everyone was equal in this culture of grace. There was an opportunity in the Jubilee to thank God for his gifts, to enjoy food, to enjoy drink, to thank God for the people that were in your life, to thank him for the weather, to thank him for rest. And God wanted his people to sing, to dance, to shout, to celebrate their liberation that they had. Israel showed the world what God was like through her partying. People would look at them and say, like, that God is a God worth celebrating. So here's the big idea. That was the longest point that I have today. But we celebrate because God is a celebrating God and we're his party people. That's, if you walk away with nothing else today, I think we got it up on, we got it up on the slide. God is a celebrating God and we are his party people. I'm not saying this is going to be easy for everyone in this room to receive it, but I'm saying this is what the word says. This is what the word says. There it is. Celebrating God and we're his party people. That's the reality of it. I had it in all caps in my first draft. should have left it in there. That's the truth. So why do we celebrate? God's a, God's a celebrating God and we're his party people. And I hope that's good news to you today. And you might be a little skeptical. You're like, okay, that's the Old Testament. What about the new? <laughs> then Jesus shows up. Then what do we see with Jesus? Okay, Adam and Israel broke God's commands Okay, they failed, ultimately, to bring about this blessing to the world that God intended for them to bring. They broke the command. They failed. But Jesus came as the second Adam, who didn't fail. Jesus came as the new Israel, the true Israel, who fulfilled all of the commandments of God. Humanity needed someone to get the party started again. Enter Jesus, the Son of God. Let's read Luke 4, 18 to 21. This is Jesus' opening address. Okay, this is like, what does the president have? I guess his inauguration speech. This is Jesus' inauguration speech. Luke 4 should be up on the screen. 18 to 21, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty all those who were oppressed. Jubilee is here for everyone, not once every 50 years, forever. Jubilee is here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus basically mic dropped, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He's like, that just happened. 
right now. This is happening right now with me. This is an inauguration speech. It's an inauguration speech of welcome, of acceptance for sinners. And guess what? Sinners who get their sinners love it. They love Jesus. Let me give you one example. Levi, Luke 5, 27 to 29 says this. After this, he went out. So again, this is already, this is post-inauguration speech. We're starting to see how Jesus' mission, his, his ministry starts to unfold. And he goes out and, and meets a tax collector named Levi, who is sitting at the tax booth. Okay, so he's, he's on about his business. And I'll explain why the tax collector, um, that's an important part of the story. Levi's sitting there, sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus says to him, come with me. I need you. And Levi leaves everything, rose up and followed him. What does Levi do? You guys have probably heard like this, come and follow me, come and follow me, come and follow me. Somber, intense. What does Levi do? He throws him a freaking party. Levi made him a great feast in his house. And he invites the worst of the worst. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining with them. And Jesus does not say no. He goes. Levi, if we get how sinful we really are, really, we're going to want to throw a party when we realize how good Jesus is. Is this making sense? The tax collector was effectively, it was like, take, you take the IRS, okay? Let's take the IRS and let's take ISIS. So, Levi was ISIS's tax collector, if ISIS was to take over the U.S. and imprison and enslave us, Levi would be an American working to ex- basically exploit us of our money and our things to fund ISIS. And Jesus goes to that guy and he says, I need you. Come with me. So yeah, you would throw a party too. You would, Levi was hated by his people. He was excluded he was the least of the least and the worst of the worst. And Jesus says, come here, Levi. And this is in there for us to realize that we're more like Levi than we are than, like Jesus. The call to you and to me to follow Jesus is one of celebration and joy because we're really messed up. And I think in this place, I'm just being completely honest, this is a highly churched area. We are way more like the older brother in Scripture. We just don't think we're that bad because we've been around church for a long time. We don't. It's just hard for us to acknowledge, like, I'm a sinner. And by the way, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm like that too. But we need these stories to remind us of the reality that we are all fallen. We're all sinful. We've fallen short of the glory of God, and we are Levi, not Jesus, in this story. So let's dance. Shut up and dance already. Is this making sense? Am I just talking to myself? Do I need, like, some preaching feedback? Can I get an amen? I don't know. I'm sorry, this is not, why do we celebrate? God is a celebrating God and we are his party people. We deserve nothing and we've been given everything. Let's dance already. All right, second point. Why is it hard for us to celebrate? Let's acknowledge it's still hard for us to celebrate. Okay, as good as this sounds, it's hard for us to celebrate. I want to make you aware of a few things that make it hard for us to celebrate. Number one, we are more aware of our problems than of God's grace for us. 
We are more aware of our problems and of his grace. Perfect example, finances. It never feels like there's enough money. Am I right? Never feels like there's enough. We need a bigger place. We need a bigger car. We need this. We need that. Finances are a source of stress and problems for us. Uh, Our jobs or our work. There's frustration about management, about our coworkers, about a lack of mobility, about opportunities not being there, about things being run poorly. There's all sorts of frustrations with work, problems. Parenting, that just explained itself. I don't think I need to explain that one. For those of you that don't have kids, kids are rebellious. They don't like to listen. We're tired. And there's this really interesting idea with parenting. Um, you can't take a day off. If, if I was to tell Josh and Addie, I'm taking this morning off, they'd be like, oh yeah, we're, we're not. <laughs> they just don't care. And you have to parent whether you're motivated or not. Oops. And, and we can be more aware of our problems than of his grace. And guess what happens when we just can't get past our problems? We're in a party and we're slamming balloons. Ah, I hate that clown. So why is it hard for us to celebrate? We're more aware of our problems than of his grace. Also, it's hard for us to celebrate because we focus on what we desire instead of what we have. We focus on what we desire instead of what we have. We long for financial freedom. So we're anxious about money. We get into fights with, our, with other people about money. We feel stressed out. We get stingy. You can't be celebrating when you're stressed out about money. We're stressed out about our spouse. Maybe for you, you want someone to, you want to get married. You want someone to be with, and you just can't understand why God hasn't given you a spouse yet, and you cannot have joy or celebrate until you have one. That's for some. For others of us, we just want a different spouse. We, we're thinking so much about the idealized version of our spouse that we have in our head that we cannot celebrate the one that's right there in front of us. We focus on what we desire instead of what we already have. So there are examples, but I'm running out of time. One more. Here's a big one. Listen in. Pay attention. We celebrate what we do instead of what, we, what he has done. Let me say that again. Another reason why we, we struggle to celebrate is that we celebrate ourselves instead of what God has done. Your career. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're in a good place in your career or you've accomplished much. But for you, you might be afraid of losing what you have. And that could lead to anxiety. Here's the reality. Your job can become too much of your identity very quickly. And it's very hard to celebrate, the kind of celebration that we're talking about. Very hard to do if your career is too much of your identity. And I get this. I'm preaching to myself right now. Parenting. We can celebrate like when our kids behave great, especially in public in front of other people. We can flip out about a new parenting technique that works. But here's the thing. You're only one bad morning away from deflating if that's your reality, if that's what you're celebrating. You inflate real quick and like a balloon you pop or don't pop and you slam it. So why is it hard for us to celebrate? This is my second point. We focus on our needs, our wants, and our accomplishments and we just forget about what we have. We focus on our needs, our wants, and accomplishments and we just straight up forget what we have. What do we have? 
What do we have? Jesus. We have Jesus. My third point, how does Jesus free us to celebrate? Here's the reality. Because of Jesus, there are things we can celebrate always, no matter what. I'm going to say that again. Because of Jesus, there are always things we can celebrate no matter what is going on in life. So think about this. What has God done for us? He saved us. What has God done for us? He has saved us. Adam and Israel disobeyed God, cut the party short. But Jesus wasn't like Adam or Israel. Only in the sense that he did what they didn't do. He did what he was supposed to do. Jesus obeyed God, and it got the party started again. That miracle story where Jesus makes wine, it wasn't just about that, that wedding. That was good for the people in the wedding, right? We were out of wine. Jesus made new wine. Whew, awesome. It was way bigger than that. Jesus was restarting the party, the bigger party, the one that got cut short in the garden the one that Israel was unable to restart. Jesus was restarting it. He provided the wine. He got the party started again. And this is for us too, not just for the people at that wedding. It's for us. How did he do it? He's our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. But it wasn't Pharaoh that Jesus defeated. It was sin and death. He defeated sin and death, and he liberated us, freed us from sin and death. They're defeated. Let's dance. Let's shut up and dance already. Jesus frees us now to hear God's word like they did in Nehemiah. Remember the story in Nehemiah that we read? The people heard God's word. Jesus now frees us to receive God's word, both in the scripture and himself. And because Jesus fulfilled the law, because he cleansed us from our sin, and he's restored us to God, we, far more than Israel in Nehemiah 8, we can celebrate. We can party. You can be here and hear the word of God preached and party. Tom and I are working really hard to make sure that we preach good news, to preach hope. Not just you got to do this and you got to do that. And we're all, we are going to talk about that, but we're here to preach hope. If, if our preaching doesn't make you want to party, then we've probably, not, we've probably not done our job on the whole. There are going to be moments, but on the whole, preaching, if it's about Jesus, should make you want to dance. And by the way, it's okay if you do. You can worship here freely. You can put your hands up when we're singing. Like David, David, keep your clothes on, but you can dance. You can shut up and dance when we're here worshiping. Or sing really loudly. Not literally shut up. You know what I mean. Think about Nehemiah. We can hear the word and respond with joy because Jesus fulfilled it. He's, our brokenness has met God's mercy in Jesus. And now we're free to celebrate. We're free to dance like David. We're free to party. Again, I'm not talking about partying being like this emptiness that's looking to be filled. I'm talking about a fullness that's looking to be expressed with joy and celebration. This, by the way, we call it a Sunday gathering. We very well could just call this a worship celebration. It might be better in some ways to call this a worship worship celebration. 
So if you come in and you're having a bad day, bring it with you. It's okay. But shut up and dance at some point if you hear about Jesus. And it's okay to be sad. Let me be clear. I don't want to be insensitive. There are going to be moments when we just have to cry. That's fine. What I'm talking about is the bigger thing, longer trajectory, if it's always sad, if it's always doom and gloom, it's probably not Jesus because that's not what we see in the text. Jesus is bringing an end to these bad, awful things. He's bringing an end to death and destruction and decay and disease. He's going to make everything new. Let's party. You can raise your hands. If you want to fall on your knees, that's okay. And worship. You can sing at the top of your lungs if you want to. You have a greater... Think about this. How did David dance? You have a greater revelation of Jesus Christ than David did. You've got the New Testament. He's on... He's on this side of the cross. We're over here. We have more cause to celebrate and rejoice than Israel ever did. Jesus instituted the Jubilee. We are freed from our debt forever. We're free to party. So we can always, no matter what has happened, you can always celebrate what God has done. Always. And that's not all. There's more. Because of Jesus, we can celebrate what God is doing in us. Because of Jesus, we can celebrate what God is doing in us, our sanctification. Philippians 2.13, this is out of the NLT. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is at work in your life, giving you the desire to do what pleases him. The Apostle Paul, if you've ever read Galatians 1, uh, Galatians 1, 23 to 24 says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking about the, the Christians if you don't know the Apostle Paul's story, the Apostle Paul killed Christians, he persecuted them, he murdered them, and then God changed him. And this is what it says. They only were hearing it said, they being the Christians of that time, they were hearing it said, he, Paul, who used to persecute us, who used to kill us and sign off on it, on the murder of Christians, is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is Paul saying this. It's okay for us to glorify God because of other people. The work of God in other people. We can worship God on account of what he's doing in the lives of others. Because it's, it's all by grace. We can, worship, we can worship God because of our salvation and because of our sanctification. And we can celebrate that. I think this is really important. So I was sitting this week. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. But I was sitting with Kevin Lachlan, and I was just thinking about who he is and what God has done in his life. He's changing Kevin's life. Kevin looks more like Jesus today than he did a year ago, and he is seeking to obey him. In my heart, my heart was rejoicing. I was thinking about Kevin. I was like, this is the work of God. I glorified God because of Kevin. It was a celebration for me, connected me with the heart of God. And there's others in this room. Brandon, there's, there's so many of you who have experienced so much of the radical, transforming grace of God. I could talk about each of you. I just don't have time. We can celebrate that. Seriously celebrate it. We can worship God on account of what he's doing in other people's lives. So I want you to imagine for a second what life would be like if this, coming together as the people of God, reading the scriptures, if it wasn't dutiful or drudgery, 
What if it was a chance to celebrate God's love? What if the Bible to you, I remember when I was, Heather and I were dating, and she was super busy when we got started, uh, when we started seeing each other. And I think we got to hang out about once a week, give or take. And so during the week, we would just write to each other. And so it was like Facebook letters for, for all intents and purposes. And I remember every day I got like a new letter. And I was like, ooh, what is she saying? What is she thinking? And I remember treasuring her words. I would read them, reread them. I would think about what she's saying. I would interpret them. She said she likes me. What does that mean? <laughs> and guess what? As you read the scriptures day to day, you're going to discover that God likes you. If you really read the scriptures as though they're about Jesus and you see how God is bestowing a new identity as a son or a daughter of God, you're going to read and you're going to come, come away thinking, God doesn't just love me, he likes me. He's into me. He has a plan and a purpose for my life. You get to celebrate and enjoy that every day, just like I got to celebrate and enjoy Heather's letters. Now I get to look at him now and look and think back, oh, it's so cute and whatever. She, lo- she loves me. Now I get the fullness of it as my wife. One day we'll have the fullness of what we're reading in the scripture when we're with God. Does that make sense? Is that good news to you this morning? Okay, good. I'm going to cut my fourth point too much. I'm going to call the band up. I'm going to call the band up. And basically I want, to, I want to finish up as we head into worship. I just want to ask one question. What do you want to thank God for today? What do you want to rejoice over today? Is it your forgiveness? Is it the fact that God has forgiven you? Are you starting to realize, like, I'm more like Levi. I'm not that great, but I'm really loved. Maybe you, can, maybe you just want to thank him for your forgiveness. How about giving you a better identity than star employee, star athlete, star mom, star dad, whatever? How about, like, beloved son or daughter that can't change? You want to thank him for that? Does anybody in here want to thank God for his faithfulness to you when you have been unfaithful to him? Does anybody in here want to thank him for what he's doing in somebody else's life right now? I just want to take a minute. You can can strum, kind of get, get going. We'll take 30 seconds. I just want you to quietly just thank God for something, just one thing right now as we head into worship. What do you have to be thankful for? You can thank him. We're going to sing. And I want to encourage you to think about David. Try to think of him with his clothes on, if you can. But sometimes he just danced naked. What can you do? So I want you to be feel free to sing and dance to your heart, so band, like recklessly if you'd like to. Try not to distract other people, but just go for it. Otherwise, <laughs> just sing and dance. We're also going to take communion. If you'd like to take communion, we have two rules. You don't take communion alone, and you do it with a celebratory heart, which is what we've been talking about all morning. So go grab someone, grab a few people. You can take communions in the back. And these are the words of the Lord Jesus about communion. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. Paul says this, actually. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread 
She had bread in the back. He gave thanks. It's like a celebration, and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This is the Passover lamb slain for you. My body, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established in my blood. It's no longer blood on doorposts. It's the blood that washes our hearts clean and makes us new people. We get to take that cup and celebrate his blood shed for us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We get to celebrate that week in, week out. So you can take communion with someone, or you can sing and dance. I'll be back up here to close us in a little bit.